Welcome to Scores and Pours, the podcast where you learn about wine and classical music, hosted by sommelier Jill Mott and me, radio host Emily Reese. Today we're going to talk about why the boop would anybody do that. <laughs> so on Emily's realm, I think we're going to talk about elevator classical music and the like, and I'm going to talk about some just cheap sparkling wine. Why do that? Why do that? Check out patreon.com slash scoresandpours for a full playlist and a wine list and consider supporting the musicians you hear by buying their music. Ms. Reese, why hello. Hello, Jill Mott. Elevator classical music. Does anybody admittedly love it? I think they do because there's lots of playlists online. Wow, that's really scary. Yeah. I wonder why the heck would it happen, but I guess there are people that, that like it. I wondered why the heck would anybody cheapify sparkling wine as cheaply as it's been done, made a la Coca-Cola, I mean, CO2 injection, when, only when, you can find something just as good for maybe a dollar or two more. I don't know, man. We'll taste like how different they really are and okay. why it's just, it just shouldn't be tolerated. It shouldn't yeah. be tolerated. And I might give people a little cost analysis of how much their mimosa actually costs. <laughs> well, where should we start? Uh, let's drink. All right. So I've brought with me today two sparkling wines. One is made very much like a lot of Proseccos these days, which is called the Charmat method. And one, and I'll talk about what that is in a moment, and one is CO2 injected. So it's basically made like one would make Sprite or Coca-Cola or something like that, right? Okay. Um, not, a, not a bad thing when you're making Le, le Croix. <laughs> soda water or something, but yeah. um, not really necessary in the world of sparkling wine. And I wanted to, to talk about this only because it when I go out somewhere for brunch, which I hardly ever do, or you know, I'm at a wedding and people are like, oh, do you want a glass of champagne? I'm like, okay, first of all, I, I don't expect everybody to use the right the correct verbiage, right? That champagne can only be champagne if it's made in this region and this method in France. I get that not everyone knows that. That's fine. But the quality of it is so much different. So I started soapboxing, but... Um, that's okay. Did, do you have any idea why people, you know, why the name champagne is protected and why they call like certain producers, their labels say California champagne, like how that came to be? Well, no, I don't know why it's protected. I just know that it is protected, that, you know, you can't make champagne in Minnesota. Correct, right? And you can't call it champagne, especially. But that's I like also know thing. you can't make tequila in Minnesota. So, you know what I mean? So yes. that's where my understanding of it really kind of ends. You've got an edge up, though, on a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, in the Treaty of Versailles that we know as United States didn't sign it, but in, in and around that time, there were certain standards put in place and written laws put in place that said you can't call things like Burgundy, Chablis, Champagne. They were protected names. And in 2006, when this was revisited, the Champenois were pissed. They were like, hey, United States, you can't use these words that, like the EU, that there are protected EU places and yeah. ways that they make these wines. 
And so, of course, the United States, people that were making wine, the FDA, everybody said, okay, no problem. But there were people that were grandfathered in. So they're able to still say California champagne or things like that on the label. So I'll, I'll crack this open right now. This is what everybody has in their mimosas. This is wine from, I'm not going to say the name because I don't want everybody to get their yeah. undies in a bundy. But I do want to just examine the flavor, but how the bubbles hit you. Smells like Sprite. It's just so bubbly you can't even really taste anything. God. And so... Um, okay. Hmm. If they're putting two ounces in your... Mimosa. Thank you. I don't know why that word's not coming out today. Maybe <laughs> because I just really don't want one. It's it's literally like less than like 60 cents worth of sparkling wine. Mm -hmm. That's how cheap it is. Yeah. So when, when you go and you spend $15 for your bottomless mimosas and you drink three and then you're sugared out, joke's on you. Yeah. So Elevator, can you talk to me about Elevator Classical? Like why is Elevator Classical a thing? Well, I mean, when when it really first, when there started to be elevator music, music that you heard in elevators, it really probably was just classical music, just simple classical music. Mm -hmm. And that information, I'm going to tell you where my source is because it was a very specific source. I read an article in Atlas Obscura by Natasha Frost. So you can find this about elevator music. And basically, it's a really interesting article because it talks about how originally people just assumed music was in elevators to calm people down. But it turns out that people had been writing elevators for decades before you started hearing music in them. And that it really was just to kind of help pass the time because skyscrapers were being built. One of the reasons sky skyscrapers could be built in the first place was because of Otis, Elisha Otis, the guy who invented the safety elevator. And so elevators could conceivably lose five of six cables before there was any concern. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like that's why there were skyscrapers in the first place was because of elevators. But then suddenly you've got an 80-floor ride on an elevator in the 20s is going to take a while. Yeah. You know? So they started to play music in elevators. And I guess it really was just classical music. So was it – let me ask you this. Was the classical music that was played over those speakers at that time, were they just playing – like a regular rendition of I Know Today, we're going to listen to a Grieg. Were they playing something similar? Obviously, because there's so much synth, right? Like when we hear, when I hear elevator music, what I think of is synth, electronic. Like mm -hmm. I don't think of like pure classical music. So is, right. were they obviously listening to like pretty much a, a studio recording or something like that? They weren't listening yeah, I to. Mean, yeah, I mean, synths weren't really made for that kind of music for a long time after they started mm -hmm. playing music in elevators. So it was just straight up classical. And it was probably what we would call light classical music, you know, um, maybe some Strauss waltzes or maybe some British light classical music, which we've talked about before on the show, um, you know, could, could be anything just light and simple and inoffensive. So then the, I guess my question then turns to why? Would anybody, because that all that sounds, I would want on an 80-floor ride to listen to some Strauss waltzes, right? As opposed to listening yeah. to some heavy breathing from someone to my right, making me yeah. all nervous in the 20s. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess the bigger question comes, why did people in the 60s, 70s, 90s, even today, 
decide, let's synth this shit up. Yeah. <laughs> let's put, like, there was one that you said, did you listen to the drums in that? And it yeah. was like, in Romeo and Juliet? <laughs> yeah. What? So maybe is that the bigger question? Instead of titling the show Elevators and WTF, it's like, yeah. why did people decide to take classical and make it synthy? If you've heard of the term Muzak, that's a trademarked term for music that was produced to sell to corporations or to provide to corporations to improve worker productivity. How synths got in there is beyond me. (laughs) (laughs) I think really it was just a sign of the times and just basically taking pop music and mixing it with instrumental music, basically, to try and make it chill and calm and they had so so 3m actually minnesota mining and manufacturing produced these uh basically 24-hour tapes they were these huge uh tape proprietary tape machines they would sell called the cantata 700 or something like that and a company would buy it and then they'd have all this music that would just play endlessly and it would get to the end of the tape and that would be 12 hours and then it would start playing back and it'd be the other 12 hours or whatever. And it would play in 15-minute chunks and then there'd be 15 minutes of silence to reduce listener fatigue and oh, wow. the tempo would speed up throughout the 15 minutes to improve productivity and blah, blah, blah. It was really bizarre. But I think to answer the the question more specifically about synths, uh, you know, and I'm sure people have written dissertations on it, but it just had to have been a, a sign of the times because okay. it was so popular. And it just stuck, right? Like, I mean, I was in my dentist's yeah. office less, you know, maybe eight, nine months ago, and it literally, I was like, why is this still happening? Why are we listening to, say, a Strauss waltz with synth and like and it sounds like half like porn, half like, why is this on? Like, this is terrible. yeah. So, I mean, I hope we're going to listen to one of those today. Just yeah, we're going to listen to some. Um, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of bastardized, bastardized music out there for us to choose from. I wanted to choose something I I could listen to and not immediately hate, even though it's terrible. It's just this version of Grieg, a, a Grieg um, piano piece. So yeah, do you want to listen to it now? Yeah. Okay. So this is a. Um, We've talked a couple different times throughout the show about Edvard Grieg. He's a Norwegian composer, and he wrote several sets of what he called lyric pieces, and they're just solo pieces for piano, usually just a couple minutes long each. And so this is one of his earliest lyric pieces called Arietta. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the flange is a really interesting effect to have on that synth. I don't get it. I mean, like, I kind of I kind of can understand. I mean, there are all kinds of composers, especially nowadays, who are releasing ambient versions of their music, you know. But I mean, it's still it's just like I don't get it. And just, it makes me think of, like, Star Wars and, but like a new Star Wars, not old school Star Wars, like new Star Wars and, like, some sort of, like, hipster BS compilation for coffee shops <laughs> in the morning, like, put the, I mean, it just, it just makes yeah. me, like, shake my head and be like, no, no. Yeah, I don't understand, for me personally, that, that, 
piece is a perfect example of why would you do that? Because some of these other pieces are really complex and I can understand why you might want to water it down to try and get someone else to like it more maybe. But but this Grieg Arietta, it's like that is such a simple little melody and is so beautiful just on <laughs> piano. Like literally, why would you do that? Like I, that I don't. Can we listen to the yeah. the actual version to kind of... To show people this, the how yep. beautifully simple it is. Yeah, I'm just going to be just as chill in the dentist's yeah. office for either of these. Yeah, and. The other one's just going to make me wonder when light speed is coming or something, yeah, you know? Just... Yeah, this is very strange. Hmm. Very, very strange. Can I crack open this next bottle of bubbles? Please. It's got my name on it, it literally. Does. Via Emilia. Love now, it. I, I specifically chose something that was mere dollars more than the one that, that you know, is the, the less expensive version by a couple dollars, but made in a much less quality-driven fashion. This is made very close to where um, the area, kind of north, central Italy, kind of around the area of Prosecco. This producer is actually really well-known for their, their Lambrusco. Oh. And this is, uh, the main grape is Grochetto, but there are other grapes as well. They don't specify. Why? Because they're probably dumping a bunch of stuff in here, and it varies year to year. But just to compare, you know I'm all up in into the natty situation. Yeah. This is a not biodynamic. This is not organic. I wanted to really get something that was, you know, not bringing a calling apples card. To apples. Yep. Yeah. All right. Where's your glass, Emily Reese? Um, it's still got some shit in it. Well, you tell me. You taste that next to. How do the bubbles feel different, if at all? Uh, they're not nearly as aggressive. And spiky, you know how when something is supercharged, like even soda water sometimes can almost be painful. Yeah. That was what that cheap stuff was like. And this is not painful. No, just, just take a pull out of that cheap stuff out of the bottle. I mean, just you're you're good for it. Come Should on. Should I go stand by the light rail? <laughs> <laughs> just so you can taste it right next to yeah, the bubbles are really aggressive in the cheap one, um, cheaper one. Also, the aftertaste is just off. I don't mind like when it's first after. Okay, so I that cheap one, I feel in three parts. I feel the prickly bubbles that are too much. Then there's actually this kind of pleasant. Oh, that's not bad. But then the aftertaste is what kind of ruins it for me. It's almost plasticky. Mm-hmm. And like with this, this one though, there's nothing complex about it. It's not like it's um, necessarily a a bump up in like a price tier, but the difference is literally the one that we got to compare the CO2 injected wine was literally $10 a bottle, mm -hmm. $9, $10 a bottle, and this is 11 to 12 depending on where you buy it. Yeah, so, um, crazy. And just to show that... You know, I understand that, you know, budgets are tight, especially these days, but people want to drink some stuff. People have weddings. They they need to feed a lot of thirsty people. Yeah. You're a restaurant owner. You need to make margin. 
But if you're tooting yourself that you're going to be like farm to table or blah, 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 and then you have terrible mimosas, yeah. don't go put champagne in your mimosas. There's stuff out there like this little Via Emilia that's just like a little bit better quality, a little step up in quality. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think the the what the is like, yeah. this is just not necessary for the world ever. No, it's crazy that it's almost the same price. That's what blows my mind at how much different it tastes. And this is actually not even a brand that I didn't want to buy because I didn't want to buy the main cheap brand, if you know what I mean. Yeah. The main cheap brand was actually more expensive than the one that's in my fingers, but the taste is exactly the same. Yeah. So in that case, they would be the same price if I would have indulged in that. Crazy. Oh, my gosh. I got a great idea. Hold on. Okay. I saw a grapefruit in your... Yeah. What if we did grapefruit mini mimosas? That sounds great. And we tried one with the Amelia and one with light rail bubbles after we listened to some tunes. Let's listen to the Len Stevens Orchestra. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's just listen and then let's talk about some of the characteristics. Okay. watched my best friend's wedding and this reminds me of the end (laughs) even though it's not nearly the right song yeah so there are a number of things that jump out about this to me first of all there's no piano in Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet Uh, there's no drum set trap kit right there's Mm -hmm. drums but there's not a drum kit playing with brushes and (laughs) yeah that's not a thing Um, And a lot of it's been revoiced. Also, it's not even the whole tune, right? And this was very common, and I'm sure still is to a certain extent with certain classical music, that they'll take, they'll extract the super popular part from the entire, because the Romeo and Juliet by Tchaikovsky is a 20-minute long piece of music. And the Len Stevens Orchestra's version is, I think, like two and a half or three minutes. So they're, they're literally taking that love theme which you just heard, and only playing that and not playing the rest of the piece, which is kind of funny. But. It's, it's maybe similar to like when you listen to some Mary J. Blige or you listen to some and they ste- they steal like completely. I mean, obviously they've paid for the rights to use a riff from Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah, samples a riff, like, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, but at this, so it's like just take the best of it Yeah, and let's use it for our own. Yeah, but that's just not It's like okay. the radio edit. So can we listen? radio edit. Can we listen to parts of Romeo and Juliet? Maybe yeah. just a quick twenty seconds of not that part. To oh hear. yeah. Well, first and of all, then, we could hear the beginning. Yeah. Which is which would be great, and then yeah. that part and compare them. Yeah. Yeah.
this whole corral goes on for a bit, and the, the Montagues and the Capulets meet up and fight and whatever. They did maintain the English horn solo. You know, good yeah. on them. Got some standards. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Cue up the trap kit. I mean, there's so much more drama here. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be. I mean, it's supposed to. T- it's a little tiny tone poem. It's a story. He tells the story of Romeo and Juliet in 20 minutes, and you don't get that when you just hear the love theme, you know? With a trap kit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And a little over, tiny bit of an overzealous English horn player in the Len Stevens Orchestra as well, but we don't hold that against him. All right. Well, do you mind giving us a quick pause? Not at all. So we can go squeeze some grapefruit. Let's do it. All right. So Emily let me bogart her beautiful red grapefruit and give it a good squeeze and so we made actual mimosas not restaurant mimosas with one ounce of or two ounces of sparkling wine and about eight ounces of orange juice from a jug yeah we did freshly squeezed but we did a 50 50 ratio which always is like Let's be honest, you're either going to brunch because you had a hard night, yeah. or you're going to brunch to kind of like hang out with the homies and maybe get a little <laughs> loopy. So, and, and it just, if you have really good quality, say, grapefruit juice and like good quality bubbles, mm-hmm. decent quality bubbles, it's like, why not have a 50 50 marriage? They're coming to yeah. the table to shake hands. So, <laughs> I made one with, we'll taste first, wine number one. Okay. CO2 injected. Okay. Oh, God. I mean, it's not awful, but it's not it's good. weird. Yeah. I wish I had had an orange. It's crazy how wine number one, the, yeah. the our mimosa with wine number one, to me, the finish is just awful. Like, it finishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was complaining about, right? Like, yeah. gross. Yep. Yeah. This just tastes, like, fresh. It's weird. It, it's like it does something to the juice, too. It, like, messes up the juice. And yeah. this one complements the juice. Yeah, good call. Like, the... The sprightliness of the bubbles and the acidity of the Emilia, of Emily's wine, we'll say. That's right. Just makes the vivaciousness and the acidity, it kind of almost brightens it of the grapefruit juice. And the other one just kind of makes them both taste like, ugh. Yeah. You know. All right. So what are we listening to next? Next, we're going to listen to a conductor who had his own orchestra. Uh, and he was an Italian guy who lived in Great Britain, Britalian, and his name was Annunzio Montavani. And Montavani became known as his last name, just like, you know, someone like Cher or Madonna has a one-name name. name. That's Montavani for you. He was hugely popular in uh, the 20th century and uh, just recorded dozens upon dozens of 
these albums that kind of were somewhere in the middle between hardcore Western classical music and pop music. And so Montavani's orchestra pulled from both. They played, you know, watered down versions of classical music and they played watered down versions of pop music. And the thing about Montavani's orchestra is a lot of times you'll hear these recordings and they're they're really talented players. I mean, they'll play some really technical passages that are great and cool, but they're just in these less desirable arrangements. So one of the characteristics of that sound, uh, that kind of elevatory, watered-down classical sound, uh, tends to be an awful lot of reverb that's added to these tracks. And reverb is that echoey sound that you get, like if you clap in a cathedral, right? You hear your clap hundreds of times reverberating off of hundreds of surfaces around you. And so they add this to this recording. It's a very common thing to add to all kinds of recorded audio, not just music. And um, uh, so you can hear that reverby sound on these recordings. And you also hear a lot of what are called cascading strings, where the strings are kind of sigh, they kind of do these sighs that make it sound like almost a slow waterfall. It's just, a, it's an interesting, it was an interesting time and interesting genre, and you can find Montavani's greatest hits all over the place. It's just dozens of recordings. So we could listen to a couple things. I could let you choose. Um, if you want to hear like a, a, an old pop version that got turned into a classical tune, or if you want to hear like a watered down classical tune, what are you feeling like, Joe? Let's, let's feel, let's do the pop turned classical because to me that applies to the why the f why would you do that would yeah. someone do that just keep yeah. it pop keep i get like that you yeah. want to like bridge these genres right like that's what we right that's what humans do but like there's some things you just don't do because it's just not good like, right so this is a tune called charmaine i wonder why you keep me waiting Montavani took this tune and it became one of his most popular recordings, although there are some, he even did jazz stuff, take the A train and stuff, it's crazy. But anyway, at the beginning of Charmaine, the Montavani version, uh, you'll hear reverb right off the bat. And then when the melody kicks in and the strings kind of do this like lazy falling down the river thing, that's the these string cascades that we're referring to. So here like it sounds like there's just an orchestra in a giant room. <laughs> it's the reverb well, to me, kind of gives that like effect. There's a it's all on a keyboard with several oh, levels. With pedals and, he's and stuff? he's just like, be-do-do-do with his right <laughs> hand, and it's on the strings function. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's it does pretty, sound that's like, like that. terrible. I'm taking off my headphones. I'm going to start drinking straight <laughs> from the bottle. That's so bad. I mean, to me, it just, it reminds me of an era, and I don't have bad feelings about it because of the people it reminds me of and things. But when I think about it musically, then I... You know, I I wish it wasn't that way, 
but I do have fond memories associated with the sound, interestingly enough, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's like with me and Blackberry Brandy. <laughs> I think of Blackberry Brandy and I think of my sister's wedding. And I'm like, that's not so bad. And my sister's wedding was really fun. And I was kind of saucy for the first time in my life. I think I was like 20, maybe less old, maybe a little <laughs> younger. But anyway, and I don't know. I But I think of Blackberry Brandy now and I'm like, atrocity. That is atrocious. <laughs> so maybe it's... Similar. I feel like at the beginning I was all over the place in the bubbles department. Do you have any like qualifying questions that would put <laughs> put things a little bit more in place for folks or not? Well, I I love that you brought non quote unquote natural, like not biodynamic, not you know, like these are filtered things. These are you know these have been adulterated, right? I love that you did that. Is- or stripped of maybe better said stripped of oh i mean they've had yeast added for sure these are not native yeast okay but like they and they've maybe been acidified you know yeah probably a little bit of mm -hmm. yeah okay you're right you're right little stir stir here you're right there's a stir stir yeah so i think that's amazing and i love that you know there's something delicious that actually falls into that category that's still good this via amelia um is there a natural alternative that is affordable like this. I mean, I know that there's tons of natural wine out there that's super cheap and affordable, but I'm talking about yeah, with a really good pet nat because I know pet nats are kind of pricey. Um, I would like, say a good quality pet nat or a frizzante style wine would be about $24.99 okay. when we're going to start qualifying it as a natural wine. And I yeah. say that because there are $19.99, $18.99 sparklers that have a native yeast to ferment. They're made in a pet nat vein, but they're sulfured up the wazoo and, mm. you know, maybe very lightly filtered. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, I think what you, the question you're asking is it's around the $24.99 mark. That said, that is, I mean, we're thinking very cheap champagnes are in the 30-ish, mid-30 tier. Mm-hmm. These $24.99, these are farmers making sparkling wine. You yeah. know what I mean? So that's yeah. like you're paying for... It's it's the same where you you know people are spending like six dollars for a bag of like chips made from avocado fried in yeah. avocado oil. It's just like you're paying for something else. You're paying yeah. for yeah. more flavor and a different a way of doing things. And mm-hmm. so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It was really fun. I like also, and I think we've done some forced bubbles next to natural bubbles before. But I always think that's so fascinating because forced bubbles are so forced. They're so just aggressive. And there's a time and a place for it, right? But my goodness. No. For me, that's, that's my argument. It's like, there's not. As much as, I, as much as I want there to be, I mean, this is a, I, I actually never did mention the Charmat method, what that is. The Charmat method is when you create bubbles in a big tank, either after, after you've got a fermentation that's happened, you can add yeast, you can you know, add sugar, whatever you need to happen, but this this fermentation for bubbles is happening in a big tank, and then you're moving it to a bottle. So that's that next fermentation, that creating of bubbles is not happening in, in the, the bottle. bottle. And so that's like it does with a pet nap. Correct. Or like it does in a champagne where the second that you know, so this is been created in a tank, most likely. Um, that says online that it's a Charmat method. And so <laughs> the bubbles are usually not as fine as a champagne. Sometimes they're not as aggressive as a pet nat, but they're definitely not as aggressive as CO2 injection. Gotcha. To scores and pours. 
to Scores and Bores. Thank you for listening to Scores and Pours with Jill Mott and Emily Reese. You can find links and information about this episode at patreon.com slash scoresandpours and Instagram at scoresandpours. If you like the show, consider making a financial contribution to patreon.com slash scoresandpours. Edited by Emily Reese and Jill Mott, our producer is Sam Keenan. Scores and Pours is a production of June Media, Inc. <laughs>